Have you ever asked yourself, what's the best way I can contribute to sci-fi and fantasy in the literary world? If you have, the answer is simple. You just have to be Veronica Belmont or Tom Merritt and host the Sword and Laser podcast. If for some reason you can't be Veronica Belmont or Tom Merritt, however, don't despair. All is not lost. You can still head over to patreon.com slash swordandlaser and help fund their hard work. Every cent you give adds more swords and more lasers to their growing arsenal of speculative literary goodness. That's patreon.com slash swordandlaser. Hey everyone, welcome to the Sword and Laser. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm Tom Merritt. Sword and Laser is a book club, but it's so much more. We bring you author interviews, news from the world of science fiction and fantasy, and awesome discussions from fans just like you. Cake. Why don't we review cake? Yeah. I'm I'm okay with that. I mean, no, why don't we bring cake? We bring author interviews, news of the world of science fiction and fantasy. Why don't we bring cake? The band? Actually, I prefer pie. I prefer pie too. Yeah, why don't we bring pie? Next like, time we'll bring pie. Okay, all right, for everybody. You're gonna bring yeah. enough for everyone? Oh, absolutely. Okay. It's the yeah. internet. I'm, Pies I'm okay are with infinitely that. replicable if they're emojis. Perfect. Uh, we're not drinking anything tonight We're not water. drinking anything but water. I'm, I, it's true, I'm drinking water. It's not true that I'm not drinking anything. I'm 70, 71% water. We've covered that on the show before, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. We're old hat at that joke. Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> we got a lot to cover in this episode, especially because we got two books to talk about. Mm -hmm. um, so let's get right into the quick burns. And the big news in the quick burns is the announcement of the 2016 Hugo Award finalists of 1941. Actually, they did do the retros for 1941. Uh, but for 2016, <laughs> the best novel nominees are Ancillary Mercy by Anne Leckie, The Cinder Spires, The Aeronauts Windloss. Windloss? 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 Windloss by Jim Butcher. Uh, the Fifth Season by N.K. Jemison. Seven Eves, a novel by Neil Stevenson, and Uprooted by Naomi Novik. Uh, yeah, Tamahome said today that what would authors do without Sword and Laser? I mean, they would never get the recognition they deserve. <laughs> They just, no uh, one would know about them. We we did Ancillary Justice, the first in the Ancillary series by Ann Lucky as a mm -hmm. pick. Uh, we've interviewed Jim Butcher. Fifth season is our current uh, alternate pick. We've definitely had Neil Stevenson on the show and talked about Seven Eves, and Uprooted was a pick as well. Yeah, and I just finished, um, I've read three of these recently, so that's pretty cool. Um, I'm excited for this. Good picks. I'm going to have to read The Cinder Spires, and then I will have read all the novels that are up for the first time ever, probably. I haven't read Ancillary Mercy, um, but I think I could get before before the the winners show up uh, in whenever that is at at a Mid American at Mid American uh, when that date is. I don't remember uh, Memorial Day or Labor mm, Day. No. Someday, anyway. See, why do you see? This is the trick. You never say when something is unless you know what it is, or else. Oh, is that I the trick? Go look it up. That's the trick. Okay. <laughs> well, the trick is I say that, and then you go look it up for me. I see that you're doing a different trick than I am. <laughs> Hold on. Uh, it's uh, August seventeenth through the twenty-first in Kansas City. Okay, so almost, almost Labor Day. Uh, close enough. Yeah, I, I, I've wanted to read all the books I haven't read, which include Ancillary Mercy uh, and Cinder Spires, I wanted to read. So I'm, I'm excited about that. Yeah, I definitely am excited to read Cinder Spires. Uh, 
got we've got Aurora to, to read for this coming month, obviously. Mm-hmm. So, which is not a thin book, uh, but it's apparently an amazing book. Brian Brushwood's been trying to push me to watch, read that for a long time. And if you want to talk about drama, you can do that in the forums because that's where all the discussion is happening about Hugo drama. Ah, Hugo drama. Knock yourselves Wouldn't out. Wouldn't be the Hugos these days. That little Hugo drama. Was it Hugo drama? Wasn't he an actor in like Shakespearean times? Oh, great actor. Yeah. Love Hugo drama. Oh, fantastic. Oh, by the way, it was uh, William Shakespeare Day or what what was was the anniversary of his death, but also really close to the anniversary of his birth. They're like four days apart. So God, he he was very, uh, he did a lot for being only four days old. Yeah, I preferred Ben Johnson. What? That would be like hipster Elizabethan drama guy. Like, eh, Shakespeare's overrated. Uh, there's a great uh, video online of um, <laughs> of like Benedict Cumberbatch and all these other great actors who have played Hamlet on stage, all trying to figure out. Uh, oh God, I'm wrecking it because I can't explain it very well. I'll link to it in the show notes. It's a great video. Of a bunch what of uh, famous Shakespearean talking actors Shakespeare? talking about the stress that you put on to be or not to be. Ah, got it. Okay. And like, where are you? Is it to be or not to be, or is it to, to be, be or. or or not to be? To be or not to be. To be or not to be. Yeah, it was really funny. That's good. Uh, hey, you know what else is good? Winning more awards. I don't know if there's any National Space Society drama. But Jerry Pornell would know because he won the National Space Society Robert A. Heinlein Award. Yes, this award recognizes Dr. Jerry Pornell's many years of support for space uh, science, exploration, development, and settlement, and his close association with Robert Heinlein. I guess if you hate space, maybe this would be a controversial award. (laughs) Perhaps, yes. I love Uh, space, personally. We are in the golden age of science fiction and fantasy books being turned into amazing television and movies. More uh, on that later. Mm-hmm. Well, more on that right now. How about uh, Ready Player One has cast Mark Rylance as the guy in charge of Oasis, uh, creator James <laughs> Donovan. James <laughs> Donovan Halliday. I mean, you mean uh, uh, Oscar winner Mark Rylance. Oscar Oscar winning Mark Rylance has been cast. Yeah, he's he he always plays older people, but I guess James Donovan Halliday is older, right? Yeah, I didn't remember that. Yeah, I I don't think I pictured him as old as he probably should have been. Yeah, I think I don't know who I was picturing. Not to call Mark Rylance old, I'm just saying no. he he often plays these elder types. You yeah, know, he looks like he's probably in his late forties or he always plays early older f- than he is. That's what okay. Okay. Um, excited about Great. this Mark Rylance drama that I've caused. <laughs> we can't, you just can't win, Tom. You, you just can't win. Uh, but no, he's, he's brilliant. It sounds like uh, Warner Brothers pushed back Ready Player One three months to March 30th, 2018. Uh, that's in order to avoid competing with Star Wars Episode Eight. Uh, so good, good thinking, maybe. Yeah, probably good thinking. Probably uh, good thinking. And good casting. Another piece of amazing casting is New Zealand's Frankie Adams who is an amateur female boxer, has played a variety of parts uh, on television and film, and has been cast as Bobby Draper in The Expanse television show. Uh, In fact, Blaster has a lovely interview with Ty Frank and Daniel Abraham about it. 
Uh, we forgot to say thank you to all the people who submitted all these. Uh, Fane for the Jerry Purnell Award, oh, Dara right. for Mark Rylance, and this was from Rob. Um, I was so confused when I first read this article because every time I heard Barb, I haven't read the second book and in the Expanse series. And so when I saw Bobby Draper, I was like, Bobby Draper from Mad Men? The little boy from Mad Men? <laughs> like, what? Why? Why are they talking about Mad Men? What? And then I was like, oh, this is a character I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's it's funny. They they talk a little bit about how there were a lot of people saying Katie Sackhoff or Gwendolyn Christie. And Ty Frank says it's interesting how people tend to boil a character down to a single attribute. The people who want Bobby to be kick ass want to cast Gina Carano because Gina Carano can kick ass. And that's like the only thing those two have in common. Or Gwendolyn Christie because she's tall, which is the only thing her and Bobby have in common. What we really tried to do was get more than one. We wanted many of the attributes of Bobby. Bobby is a space Marine uh, who is, uh, believe, Oh, I can't get this wrong. I'll uh, never forgive myself. I believe she's Martian Marine, but she ends up working for Earth later on. Anyway, it's, mm -hmm. it's complicated. Spoiler? And I think, I think that aspect, I mean, minor spoiler. It's not really a spoiler because it's sort of ancillary to her justice. <laughs> I, I think the fact that she is very loyal and very uh and very strong, and because she's a Marine, people relate her to Brienne of Tarth. And therefore, that's why they want Gwendolyn Christie. So I think when Ty says it's only because she's tall, it's like, yeah, it's that. But it's also the character she plays in Game of Thrones has some similarities to Bobby Draper. But mm -hmm. you're right. Gwendolyn Christie doesn't really look like Bobby Draper. Uh, and so anyway, when I saw uh, Frankie Adams, which I was unfamiliar with before this, I'm like, yes, no, that's Bobby Draper right there. I think she's it. Well done. Yeah, she looks she looks awesome. Um, I'm, ex I'm so excited for the next season. Uh, the, in case you want to know, Bobby Draper, they wanted a Polynesian or Samoan actress. Uh, she is very physical. We wanted an actress who was very comfortable being physical, who never appeared to be intimidated uh, and had an attitude that is, you know, of course, you want someone who can actually act and they got all of it. Well done. It's just goes to show like sometimes casting can feel so lazy. But other times. Like they just really nail it. And sometimes it has to come from input from multiple people. It has to be like, no, you know, it, it's so easy to just find a, a, a white actress for a role. But if you really want it to be true to the storyline, you can actually find someone who fits the original ver vision of, of the creator or even not. I mean, if we look at like if we look at the magicians, for example, a lot yeah. of the characters on the magicians didn't weren't weren't specifically any race. And so the show was like, oh, we'll just cast people who are good at that role. It doesn't matter. So there's I think that's great, cool. there's actually a great scene because you remember they changed Janet's name to Margo. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a great scene. And I think like the eighth episode. Oh, yeah. Uh, on the librarian. Or maybe it's in the finale. No, huh? it's in the, it's not in the last episode. Are you talking about the one where she calls her Janet by yes. accident and she's, she's like, like who? Janet, she's like, like Margo. She's like this time. Yeah, yeah. Because right. there's like apparently alternate universes being repeated. I loved that because they wrote like, it oh, in. Oh, good. Yeah. They acknowledged that. That was great. I love that. I laughed really hard and Ryan was like, what? I know. It was definitely <laughs> for us. It was for, for us. The uh, Yeah, it was the librarian who did it. You're right. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Neil Gaiman is writing, uh, speaking of a, another thing coming to television, Neil Gaiman is writing a six-part miniseries um, of Good Omens. I, I feel uh, like we talked about this in the past, but maybe not. Um, but this is going to be, uh, of course, he did the the um, radio play on BBC4 last year. Um, 
but this is going to be on the television and I'm really excited. And, but I, 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 who, where is it coming to? Because I believe HBO tried, like was going to have it for a while or no, maybe I'm thinking of. Well, here's what io9 says. Gaiman and Pratchett okay. had a deal to always work on Good Omens related works together. Pratchett Aww. had written a letter to be delivered posthumously asking Gaiman to do it. And Gaiman said, at that point, I think I said, you bastard, yes. <laughs> uh, this was, this, he was saying this at a memorial to Terry Pratchett. Um, and I guess he got the hat, or at least one of uh, Pratchett's hats. Mm -hmm. I'm crazy. trying to figure out where this is, uh, where this miniseries is going to live. Or if it has a place where it's living yet. Um, yeah, it does. I don't know that it says. Maybe it has not been decided. Maybe it's BBC since this is all taking place around the BBC. I don't know. Doesn't seem to make it clear. Maybe it's yeah. not. Maybe it's not decided yet. Maybe. Well, I'll, I'll have to keep digging for that. Um, and thank you for Rob uh, submitting that one as well. Finally, David submitted the Tor.com article which is a list of almost every science fiction and fantasy adaptation coming to television and movie theaters. And uh, as he points out, nice to see our current book selection on the list uh, in Darker Shade of Magic. Yep, this is uh, this is in the announced list. We have rumored uh, books as well, including The Warded Man by Peter V. Brett and The Wheel of Time by Robert Jordan. Uh, but yeah, we've got uh, 3001, The Final Odyssey uh, by Arthur C. Clarke. Um, coming to uh, optioned for television by Sci-Fi. Mm, okay, so, you never know. I, mean, I read it. I read. I read it when this came out uh, in the nineties, ninety-seven, uh, mm -hmm. and um, it's fine. Okay, sorry. We've got um, Darker Shade of Magic, as we mentioned, for television. Uh, Altered Carbon, uh, optioned which for television by Netflix, which we've talked about. Um, Amulet by Kazu uh, Kibishi. Uh, sorry if I'm saying that incorrectly. Option for film by 20th Century Fox. Uh, Ancillary, Ancillary Justice. Justice. Yeah, we've talked. We've mentioned that before too. Option for film. We will um, be here all day if we try to read all these. Oh, is it that long? It's, it's that long. long. Okay, yeah. you're right. I'm gonna see. Oh, Lock In by John Scalzi. And now Good I'm just scrolling Owens through. Little brother here. Optioned for television, but it doesn't say where. Mort by Terry Pratchett. Uh, Newsflash by Mira Grant. Uh, that's cool. Oh my God. And, and jo, Mira Grant and Shannon McGuire both have uh, books optioned. October Day, uh, which uh, the Rosemary and Rue book, which I read for uh, Vaginal Fantasy, which was excellent, is on there as well. Gosh, Lock there's so many. We've mentioned Robo before. Apocalypse by yeah. Daniel H. Wilson. Um, the short story. This is uh, this is uh, the novelette by Charlie Jane Anders, Six Months and Three Days. Temeraire. Temeraire has been forever. That has been... Um, what's his face? Uh, Lord of the Rings, Peter Jackson. Yeah. Oh, and we've mentioned that Elijah ages ago. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's going to be so great. The We Free Men, which would be amazing. Oh, here's the ones that are in development. Oh, Those, we should have skipped to this. These are yeah, actually happening. Series of unfortunate events, Wrinkle in Time, American Gods. Obviously, we've talked a lot about that. Annihilation, Fahrenheit 451 again. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Ghost Brigades is in development. By uh, John Scalzi. Slow going. Uh, his Dark Material is coming yeah. to television, which I'm excited about. You know, we had the, the 2007 movie that was just kind of... Hyperion uh, coming to sci-fi. No, no, no yeah. Shrike. I don't want the Shrike on television. <laughs> I will not allow it. Obviously, right. Oh, God, Lilith's Brood? Okay. Yeah. Curious to see how that plays out on television. Game trade by George R. R. Martin coming to Skinamax. Makes sense. <laughs> 
<laughs> they, maybe they should put Lilith's brood on Skinamax. <laughs> uh, the Sandman, I almost forgot. That's that's being developed as a film. Ready Player wow, One, of course. Keeps going on and on. Uprooted. Uh, well, you know, Warner this Bros. is a good time. This is a good time. Oh, because yeah, Why the Last Man has been there forever, too. The Forever War by Joe Haldeman. It has also been forever because it's the um, name of the book. All right. Well, these are these are all exciting. Thank you, David, for submitting that. It's exciting. Oh, and then so they even stuff. have all the the ones that are actually coming, like are are ready to air. Yeah. And airing. Okay. Cool. Well, let's move on. Wow, that took a lot of time. Yeah, I got excited and I just kept reading things. Sorry. <laughs> it is now time for Bear Your Sword, which is our feedback from the audience. We got an email uh, from Rue Lazaro, who says, uh, "Hi, Tom and Veronica." In the most recent episode of Sword and Laser, you dropped a hint that if any listeners were doing InkShares projects, that we should drop a line to your email. Uh, my name is Rue, and I'm working on Thunder in Morrow, a weird Western fantasy novel. What is a weird Western sin? What is a weird Western fantasy, you ask? It's orc barbers, whiskey magic, and demon slaying cowgirl mercenaries. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm listening. Uh, if you can spare $10 for a pre-order on InkShares, uh, that would be awesome. Thanks for the plug. Um, and she also says, and good luck to Pilot X making its next goal. Oh, thank you. Yes, Pilot X is uh, over halfway. So I'm very excited. And I'm going to go back this one right now. Now, here's the thing. I'm not going to back everyone that everyone sends us. And we're no. not going to read every and single one. And we're not going to read everyone. That everyone sends us. But maybe we'll try to read like one a month, maybe two a month. And we did also more. say we were looking for more female authors on Inkshare. Yeah, so that's absolutely. cool. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, this is cool. Back in, back in okay, well, we've got a lot of uh, Book of the Month discussion to get to, um, but we'll start things off before we get into spoiler territory by saying that next month pick is Aurora by Kim Stanley Robinson. And you guys voted for that. And I'm already 60% of the way through and it's awesome. You're 60% through Aurora? Yeah. <laughs> is that because you're traveling? What the? I, I guess. Yeah, I think I think so. I mean, I just started it today. Like I just finished the fifth season yesterday. I finished A Darker Shade of Magic. I finished the fifth season. I finished Vaginal Fantasies pick, The Magpie Lord, and I'm 60% of the way through. I love how Aurora. you're like, I don't know if we can read two books and you've read four. Yeah. Well, almost read four. <laughs> I don't think I'll be done with Aurora by the first, but yeah, it's it's a, it's a near thing. Uh, um, well, if you want to get uh, all the fact, the fact sheet on Aurora before our next episode, we will officially kick it off in the next episode in May, uh, but become a Patreon, patreon.com slash sword and laser. And I always send out all the notes ahead of time to the patrons before we actually do the episode. Uh, but it is, as we mentioned, a Hugo nominee. It's recommended by lots and lots of folks. And it's basically a work of a writer at the height of his powers, according to all of the people who love it. Um, high praise. Yeah, I know. I mean, I'm trying to find an actual uh, summary here. Well, you know, too, if you me. liked, if you enjoyed Seven Eames by Neil Stevenson, yeah. I think a lot of people are going to really enjoy this one as well. Um, there's a lot of. It's a generation ship. It's a generation ship. So that's that. There's a commonality there. Um, it's very. Mm, I, I, I was going to say hard science. Maybe I, I might I might put it into that category. Kim Stanley um, Robinson is generally hard science. He usually yeah. has scientific justifications for everything. And it reminds me quite a bit of Alistair Reynolds' uh, Blue Earth series in that mm. there's a there's a generation ship that's getting close to the end of its voyage. 
So I think there's a lot of crossover there. As and well. there's a lot of great AI talk. And so that's kind of hot button awesome. issue right now in the world. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's fun to see that there too. All right. Uh, we're going to get spoilery now, folks, and it's a little tricky if you only read one of the books because we're going to start by wrapping up A Darker Shade of Magic by V.E. Schwab. Then we're going to talk about the fifth season by N.K. Jemisin. But before we talk about either one, I kind of want to talk about both of them at once. Is that rude? And I'll try to be non-spoilery okay. about that. Okay. I want to talk about the style of both of them because it was a really interesting experience to have both of these books because I read V.E. Schwab, Darker Shade of Magic, and loved it. I loved the story. I loved the characters. I loved the world. I had a great time. Then I read the fifth season by N.K. Jemisin and I just soaked in it. It was just lovely. It was a bath of wonderful writing and mm -hmm. I enjoyed my time. And I felt like, and I even saw some of this on, on the forums. It's one of those situations where some people who like a particular style are going to say, see, that's why this book is better than that book. And there's no objective way for you to measure that. You say that because you like that style better, or you are in the mood for that style, or you think it makes you more important to say it. Uh, but one <laughs> of these styles is not necessarily better than the other. They're different ways of approaching the genre. V.E. Schwab is a great story. It's, a, it's an enjoyable story with fun, accessible characters, and it is good writing, and it's punchy. And I, I would compare it in some ways to Vonnegut, where it just comes at you and says, here's the story, here's what's happening, here are the people, here's the fun. Uh, but it's not that it isn't complex, it's not that it isn't literary, whereas N.K. Jemisin weaves these, these wonderful images and tells a tale in a way that kind of coils around you rather than happening linearly and brings threads together. And it's, and, and I, when I was comparing it, uh, when, when we were texting about it, I said, she's kind of like Hemingway in, in, mm. in that, that way. She's, oh, I love, I love those, those comparisons uh, of Vonnegut and Hemingway. And, and you, you can argue with whether those are really the right things, because there's certainly lots of things about Jemison that are not Hemingway and, and same for Schwab and Vonnegut. But, but roughly speaking, that's kind of how I felt. It's like these writers, are they have different goals in mind and the effect they want their stories to have on you. But it doesn't mean that either one is better or worse objectively speaking, uh, and, and you can make your arguments or would certainly you're going to maybe like one kind of style better than the other, but personally, I enjoyed the both quite a bit. That was very well said, Tom. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it was, and I, I agree with you. And I, when I finished the fifth season, I, I looked back at reading both novels and I was just so happy that I did because they, they both definitely fulfilled different things for me. Um, and I enjoyed them both immensely, though, as you said, differently and for different reasons, but that didn't lessen either experience. Sure. And uh, yeah. Yeah. It looked Absolutely. like you were about to say something else. Well, I, I realized that you weren't done, so I stopped. It's okay. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, let's no. talk about Darker Shade of Magic. Yeah, let's, let's do. Uh, V.E. Schwab, Darker Shade of Magic. We are going to get spoilery here, and then we'll stop. Uh, I just have to fast forward and we'll try not to be super spoilery, but, uh, start, I want to start with something that Lena, uh, pointed out on Goodreads. Uh, she says, I read this book a while back, a couple months after its original publication. And when I did a small detail caught my attention, white London is located within a country called mocked. This is literally the Swedish word for power 
as in the kind of power that royalty or politicians or say scary witchy siblings might hold. Oh. Uh, I posted about this fun fact on my Tumblr, ending it with coincidence. 20 minutes later, I was filled with fangirly delight as I was notified that V.E. Schwab herself had not only reblogged my post, but she had also added a comment to it. What she commented? Winky face. Winky face emoji. Yep. Uh, I'm not sure if I as a Swede should feel slightly offended or not. Anyways, I'm looking forward to reading the further discussion. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a cool little, little inside scoop. I love those kinds of things that certainly don't take you out of the story if you don't know them, but they add a little bit to it if you do. Yeah, and I love the the commenters uh, continued going on. Uh, Linnea said, um, uh, Brendan said, is an Astrid a Swedish name as well? Linnea said, well, Scandinavian at least. And then Tassie Dave says, their last name is Dane. And then Lena says, gosh, I didn't even realize, like I said, it's been a while since I read it. Um, so yeah, there's there's some, the, some fun tie-ins there. And it's always fun when an author also sees what you've been saying about their book, as long as it's good. Yeah, and, and there were some nice little English history allusions in there, and that's one of them. Like the Dane law used to be a carved out section of the Isle of Britain, kind of seems like in the, in the white London that Dane law just took over and stayed. Mm-hmm. And then we have a comment from uh, John Taloni who says, I finished the book a while back. It wasn't particularly good nor particularly bad. As I thought about it, the book really missed the possibilities of the printed word. It was mainly a description of events. After a while, I realized the book was more like a movie treatment. Take the necklace subplot. The prince takes it as a gift and puts it on. Later, it's mentioned in passing as the reason he could be possessed. That's the kind of thing that can be brought out in film through close-ups or the discussion of Leela's missing eye, or for the matter, the dark magic taking form. These read like descriptions of filming instructions. Uh, and then he goes on to say, this seems to be a new thing for sci-fi. Uh, Annihilation was also clearly film bait, and that worked for Jeff Vandermeer. Uh, giving credit where it's due, the series did do a creepy book well, but older books didn't play that game. Uh, Larry Niven bemoans his inability to get Ringworld done as a movie, but that is a story that's best told in text. The, quote, aliens discussing galactic events made Ringworld feel much more like a dinner conversation than an action-filled movie. Uh, it's action that sells in visual media. Uh, so he says he didn't particularly dislike uh, ADSOM, uh, but it doesn't really seem so much like a book as a treatment. I prefer books to be books first. So of course, that's a that's how he feels about that. I and Brendan says, I couldn't disagree with this more. I'm actually yeah. having trouble picturing how they're going to make Annihilation in a visual medium, medium, given the lack of physical descriptions and the number of physically impossible entities. Yeah, and that's something I think we actually even talked about when we were reading Annihilation, just how descriptive it is. And yet I still had such a hard time picturing some of the things that were happening in the book. And they almost feel more like ethereal presences rather than substantial things that you could look at or touch or see. And I think that was part of what made it so magical. And this, yeah, as someone who works in video production, like I didn't really get the sense that it felt treatment like that didn't cross my mind from from a professional standpoint. Um, but I can understand why you might think that. But I think this also kind of falls into what we were talking about earlier, what you were saying earlier, in that it's just it's a it's a it's a plot driven kind of book. It's not there's not a ton of necessarily uh, like tons of exposition there. Um, and even not as we talked about in book club last night, not a lot of world building really. And in fact, to me, and, and you know, if you disagree that I'm happy to hear about it, but I felt like the world building of the Londons was actually rather flat. Hmm. Um, we don't really leave exactly where Kel 
can get to. And that's understandable from his perspective. But I always felt like the world was very truncated, even though we had these four parallel Londons kind of living linearly, linearly, la, 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 linearly from each other. Um, I never felt like even though they said there was a wider world out there, I never felt that breadth. I never felt that expansiveness of some other worlds that you read about in fiction. Um, and I wonder if that was maybe not accidental and maybe actually something that is part of the plot later down the line. I don't know. Like I wouldn't be surprised if in the next book, which is out by the way, that maybe the world is smaller than we think it is. Who mm. knows? Well, and I, I do think that the focus of the book is on London's and particularly right. the Royal families in the London's. And so you, 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 risk losing that if you spend a lot of time out and about in the world. I, I think it's totally fair yeah. to say, yeah, you don't know anything outside of London in these in these books. Uh, and I think that's by design. I yeah. That didn't bother me because I felt like I got a very good sense of the personalities of the different Londons. And I was meant to think, yeah, there's different things outside, but my attention is supposed to be focused on the parallels of these Londons. Mm -hmm. And if I were mm -hmm. to look at the rest of the worlds, that would just distract me. But I think you're right. Maybe in these future books, we might venture outside of London a little more. Maybe she's just saving it. Uh, yeah, maybe. And I didn't think it was necessarily a bad thing either. I just, I, at some point, I just got the sense that it felt a little bit claustrophobic. I don't know how to explain it. Um, not, not even necessarily in a bad way, though the word claustrophobic definitely has negative connotation. Um, I just didn't feel that expansive world building that, like, for example, the fifth season did. Like, I felt like there was a big wide world out there uh, yeah. even though or lies of Loch Lamora or, yeah. the, you know, these sprawling epics and, and King Killer Chronicle. You, yeah. If, if that's what you want, uh, you're books not going like to get that. that here. But what I did feel like is this was about court intrigue. And of course, bringing Leela in to the court intrigue pulls something from the outside, but the world that Kel inhabited was very insular. He did not, relate to the masses. He did not leave the court mm -hmm. very often. His world was moving through the doors between the Londons and going back to court. And, and I feel like that was the impression I got reading the book was this, this was Kel's world. And venturing outside of that was either something he wasn't interested in, wasn't allowed to do, or scared the crap out of him in the case of Black London. <laughs> Um, well, I guess we'll see how, how it does play out as a treatment, uh, because it will be that shortly. All right, we'll give a little buffer before we get to the fifth season, I guess. Uh, and, and let me buffer it by saying that, I, <laughs> that idea of, of a book being a script treatment uh, is can also be applied to Douglas Adams. Uh, in fact, Douglas Adams pokes fun at the other style of writing by saying, oh, uh, some novels spend, you know, thousands of words describing someone going to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you want to talk about that, I mean, look at look at Neil Stevenson. I mean, he's like the king of just explaining yeah. and describing every little thing to me. And that almost makes it sometimes impenetrable for me. Yeah. I was like, okay, well, okay, okay. That's what that looks like. Okay, okay, great. Uh, right, that's that's the 30 years of science behind that idea. All right, great. Okay, okay, can, I, can I find out what happens? Brown sap in as he now? against it. Yeah, I mean, that's a, sometimes you want that, sometimes you don't. That was the whole point that I was making earlier. So I think it's unfair to dismiss it 
as a script treatment. But I think it's an interesting perspective to say, yeah, this is very much a a a punchy story. And I that that was Vonnegut. That was criticism against Vonnegut in the early days before he became Kurt Vonnegut. Was like he doesn't do enough description. It's just all action, and he moves from thing to thing. And turns out those are pretty good stories, right? Fifth season? Yeah, fifth season, uh, which is a different kind of story and does have lovely description and great world building and oh, all of those things. And wait, I just wanted to ask, wait, I'm not done yet. I just wanted one more thing. So did do you think that that Leela, that Delilah oh, is we're, okay, a, back we're back to spoiler territory? I'm back, yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I'm okay. sorry. Just giving people a warning. Okay, go ahead. This is back in spoiler territory for a darker shade of magic, which you Oh crap. Oh, oh. Oh, I hate, uh, oh, okay. Yes, we did time this out weird. I, I apologize. Um, what are the name, what, are the, what is, what is, what is the thing that, that Kel is, what's he called? A magician? No, <laughs> okay, you know the name, so it begins with an A. Um, uh, an uh, it was in my x-ray on my Kindle last night when we were doing the thing. Uh, now I can't remember what it is. Um, but I, I, I assume a what? An aura? No, that's an Harry or Potter. is it or is it no, something like Harry that? It's, <laughs> damn it. Um, anyway, I figured that's what she is. I think she's that because her eyes. Oh, yeah, no, I, I think I, they I was, pulled her eye out. Absolutely. I think she was either abandoned at a young age, so she doesn't realize it. Mm -hmm. uh, Antari. 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 No, I knew it began with an A. Yeah. Uh, rare, yeah. So I think she is, she is an Antari. She's a lost Antari, which is why she's able to do some of those things that she shouldn't right. be able to do. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Just All wanted right. to get that out there because I was thinking about it. Okay. It's probably obvious. Now we're talking about the fifth season. Now. We seriously are not going to pull that on you again. But wait, one more thing. No, I'm just kidding. Fifth <laughs> season by N.K. Jemisin. Uh, love how this weaves three different stories together. Yes. And I'm giving a little extra time just in case someone needs yes. to bail. Okay, so that uh, poor, poor Josh got totally spoiled on that oh, last no. night, by the way, at book club and and I felt terrible. It wasn't my fault. It was Nick's fault. Nick. But, um, but uh, yes, so the, the, the main spoiler is that all three stories in the fifth season are of the same woman in three different stages of her life and in three different times, points in history, which center around this cataclysmic event that is ending the most recent season of this world. And it's all about that and her coming into her abilities and as an origin and figuring out how, how to deal with that or not deal with that. Well, how early did you think they were all tied together? I actually have the exact line. If you give me a wow. moment, no kidding. Because um, for me, I I caught on. I was like, okay, all three of these are related. Mm -hmm. Fairly early on, I decided that Demaya was probably Cyan. I'm like, yes. that just makes sense. But I wasn't sure I have it. that yeah. the mother in in Essen. Essen was whether she was a descendant of those two. Like, I I wasn't quite. I wasn't quite sure. I was like, I, I thought maybe she could be Cyan, but uh, but I was leaning the other way. I was like, oh, but that that might be too cute. So this uh, is how it ended up not yeah. being cute at all. This is no. This is how I did it. Um, the line was, Cyanite flinches, remembering the sound of ripping tendons. The palm of her hand stings sharply. 
Ah, okay. Yeah. And at that minute I was like, she's Demaya. She's, and then I was like, all of the origins apparently go through that. Well, it just, it, it was too close. There was too much focus on that. And then there was a lot of focus on it in Demaya's story. And then, yeah. Yeah. And then in that moment I was like, well, if the two of them are the same, then Essen also has got to be, there's no reason to have those two be the same and then not have the third one also be related. Well, and I, I guess as the story was going along, I thought, well, maybe Cy- maybe we'll see Cyan and Alabaster's Cyan, child yeah. be yeah. Essen. Right. Uh, and, and then, you know, I was like, I was kind of holding that out as a possibility that would extend this a little, little farther. Yeah. This um, book was intense. There were a lot of really intense moments yeah. in this book, including, you know, the, the fate of Alabaster's children and what they had to endure. Um, and you know, what things, the things that, that Cyanite and, and, um, Essen had to do to protect, uh, herself and her children. Um, it was, it was an intense, it was, it was an NK Jemison book. I mean, it does not pull any punches. Like she, she goes for it and it, it makes you have feelings and it's, it's pretty, pretty deep. And one of the things I think she does so well is is develop the story of the oppressed other in a way that is accessible for anybody, no matter what their background, which is a trick and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is that is one of the underpinning conflicts in our society today is for people to go, why are you so upset about that? You know, just get over it. And people saying, you don't understand what it's like to be me with my ethnicity or my gender or whatever, right? Yeah. And Joanna put it really well in our forums. She realized after she read the book the first time that I was rushing about it to other, I was gushing about it to other people. And I didn't really want to use the word Raga, the derogatory corruption of origin. It felt like a dirty word to me after all the time the book spends discussing it, examining it from different angles, from the way that Fulcrum members don't use it to the way a certain character always does, preferring to use a word considered crude to express how bad their situation is. It seemed fairly obvious to me that it is supposed to be an in-world equivalent to the N-word in English, and that at its heart, the word means inhuman, not like us and lesser. I'm Mm -hmm. white. I'm never going to completely get it, I don't think, but I like to think that this book helped me get it a little better. And that's a good example of why fiction has value besides just escapement and entertainment. It can also promote empathy. Yeah, and the, empathy was exactly the word I was going to use when when we started talking about this, um, because that that is definitely something that N.K. Jemisin brings to the reader. You feel empathetic uh, for the characters and for their plight. And as they are learning that as well, because in that scene where Cyanite is, is when they're at the outpost with when she's with Alabaster and she's like, what's going on here? Why are you showing this to me? He's like, you need to see what's happening to our people. Like these are our people just because they couldn't control their power in the same way that we can, or for whatever reason, someone decided that they were too inhuman. You know, they've already decided that all of us are basically inhuman. Like they don't even count basically under their constitution as being humans. And, but he's like, you need to see exactly what lengths they go to, to devalue them as people. And then she realizes that and she throws up because it's, you know, she can't handle it. And she is one of them. And even she didn't know how dehumanized she was being. Yeah. And, and, and that is, that is a thing that happens, you know, mm-hmm. that people get so 
I mean, we're all, when we're young, coming to the assumption that the world around us is the way the world is supposed to be, even if it's wrong. That's just, that's just how young minds work. They accept that, oh, this is everything around us. And it takes, sometimes it takes a lot to jar you out of that and realize, hey, you, you don't have to put up with it that way. That's well, yeah, cool. and her acceptance of the guardians, like just kind of being like, you know, I, I love my guardian because yeah. he's the only person who's ever been nice to me, really, or shown yeah, me any he's the kind only one of that cares. care, yeah. even though he will kill you at the drop of a hat. Right. And For my own good, though. Very, very good, because I'm yeah. just too powerful. I, right. I get that. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. This very is troubling. also one thing I very early on noticed uh, is that this is a, one of those great examples of science fiction that you don't have to have spaceships to be science. Uh, and, and I know this is a fantasy uh, and this is a fantasy month, but this is geological fiction. This is science, the science of geology. <laughs> uh, and we have a great post by Steve where he was like uh, saying, yeah, uh, it's a ton of geology and vocabulary. And if you're like me, it's been, I don't know, 30 years since you took rocks for jocks in college. Uh, so I scanned a few pages from science that made stupid how to decomprehend the world around us. And it's about the different types of rock and the strata of the earth and everything, which I, I you found got the name of that book so wrong. I just have to go back and correct it. It's science made stupid how to discomprehend the world around us. The, what did I say? You said you said something like the science made stupid how to decomprehend. It wasn't that wrong. It was just wrong enough that maybe people wouldn't find it. Uh, it's okay. Probably, You're good. Yeah. You got it. It's fine. No, no worries. You're um, fine. Yes. So anyway, it's about geology and it will help you not say uh, titles wrong because you learn about geology. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I said like 50 names wrong in this in the course of this podcast. It's yeah, totally but that's fine. your thing. That's true. Yeah. Don't steal my thing. <laughs> Yeah, very no, but, cool. But I, I love that this is in fact a geological fiction. I mean, that's not all it is. I'm not trying to belittle it, but that is one of the strata that makes up this book. <laughs> I love how he he did he scan these? How did yeah. he get these books? He um, them into images and then inserted them. That's amazing. My favorite page is Earthquakes, whose fault? <laughs> It's a pun. Well, it's the origins, actually. It's the origins. Yeah. That's whose fault it was. Fault. Get it? Fault. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Tom's like, I get it. That's a Ask Dr. Stupid. Why cool. is the sky blue? Because it reflects the sea. That's a little factoid that I learned from this book. I want this book. That's fun. Um, and we have a post from uh, EJ Xavier who says, uh, one of the things I so appreciate about this book is how the style and structure choices so skillfully support the themes as well as the nuts and bolts narrative. Very little is gratuitous or just for show or feel. The artfully crafted language isn't just there to sound beautiful, though it certainly is very beautiful. But as I reread, I keep finding new meaning and new themes to explore. Even lines that seem like throwaway set the feel and tone devices on the first read and at second read reveal new meanings. Um, he says, as it came together, one of the things I kept thinking about was how the author seemed really interested in the idea that at different phases in our lives, we essentially are different people with beginnings and ends. And maybe as time goes on, we're different people simultaneously, our past selves and our current selves. And I think uh, I, I love this post because it shows that those styles that we're talking about earlier, like you can have a different kind of style, isn't the thing that makes a book good or not. As, as he said, it's not just there to sound beautiful, although it is. Mm -hmm. you, you, can, you can write a beautiful book that's bad, 
that's not what N.K. Jemison did. She wrote a beautiful book that is complex and thick. And and again, I, I don't mean to make geological puns, but it has layers uh, that you can dig down into and find more meaning. It's great. Tom Tom can see that I just face planted, head head desked him with that pun, but uh, you guys can't. So I'll tell you. Well, now now they now they can. Now they know. All right. Well, I think that I, I loved both books. I really, I really truly did. And I'm, I'm so happy that they, they tied because I got to read both of them. That was I awesome. I understand why they tied now. Yeah. Totally different books. Equally good for different reasons. Accurate. Mm -hmm. Accurate voting. Okay. Well done. Good job, guys. Uh, our show is uh, also currently funded and accurately funded by our patrons at patreon.com slash sword and laser. Uh, thank you to all the folks who continue to lend their support. You know, give a little, give a lot, however much you can give. It, it helps. Every little bit counts. Uh, and we, we adore you for it. So thank you. Patreon.com slash sword and laser. You can also support the show by buying books. Uh, you can buy my book, Pilot X on Inkshares. That would support <laughs> me directly. But to support sword and laser. That doesn't uh, support find, me. Find links to the books we talk about and some of our favorites at swordandlaser.com slash picks. And if you buy one of the books or anything on Amazon through those links, uh, it helps the show out. Actually, it does help because if you buy it through Inkshares, it's uh, sort of, it should be in the Sword and Laser collection. So there you go. It helps all of us. Absolutely. If you want to get in touch with us, our email address is feedback at swordandlaser.com. Our website is swordandlaser.com. All of our discussions happen over on goodreads.com. And you can call and leave us a voicemail at 4157-SWORD-6. Leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think about the show. What did you think about the two book picks this month? Did you have a personal favorite? If so, why? Let us know. Search for Sword and Laser Audio on iTunes. I think that wraps it up. We will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye. about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there.